Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I have a very unusual story to share with you today. It comes from a scientific article in a recent Newsweek magazine entitled Natural Justice. It concerns biotechnology patents. It discusses the case before the U.S. Supreme Court in which the court is being asked to rule on the patenting of human genes. Should the law allow companies to patent the human gene? That's the question they're asking. Apparently, there is one company in the States that has engineered a special test to detect mutations in either of the two specific human genes that they have patented. They have, it is said, spent over $500 million to reach this point. Hence, they decided it was commercially necessary for them to patent this process and the result thereby forcing anyone who wants to compare their genes for such mutations and check for cancer possibilities to have to pay this company, the owner of the patent, for the privilege of doing so. The value of being able to look for such mutations is that it has been shown that such mutations are possible indicators of the possibility that women may be exposed to developing certain kinds of cancers. But if you want to check your genes against those that show the mutation to see if you are at risk, you must pay for that privilege. On the one hand, it seems unconscionable to deny someone who might have cancer the opportunity of checking and receiving appropriate treatment if required. But on the other hand, the company has invested a lot of money to research, develop, and find and acquire this important information. They have a right to charge for that information, don't they? Surely they need to earn a return on their great investment. Well, the essence of the story is that the Supreme Court has been asked to decide, to decide if a company has the right to patent the human gene. Is it even moral to allow this to happen? Opponents say that allowing the patenting of the shared human genetic heritage is absurd, immoral, or perhaps both. What do you think? Well, let me take this thing a step further. While there are those who think that allowing people to patent their shared human genetic heritage is absurd, immoral, or both, what about the ownership considerations of the genome in the first place? Once again, I suggest to you that this is another clear indication of the supreme arrogance of man. Just consider the impertinence of puny man who steps up to the core of the universe and claims to have discovery rights to patent these two human genes. Who made those genes in the first place? What is man? In the beginning, God created. God is the creator of the human race. He has original ownership rights because he has made us and the gene. How dare we claim to have discovered anything about the human race? How dare we try to patent ownership rights and charge for the privilege? 
Of course, I've been very simplistic in this comparison. There are many variations to the theme, many arguments that can be presented. I wanted only to present that once again the secular world seems to choose to ignore God. Their discussions, legal arguments, plans, practices, all present themselves as if there were no God to whom we must answer, no God who made this in the first place. An answer one day we will, make no mistake about it. Good morning. I want to invite you to a very special occasion this evening. Mr. Larry Ford, Grammy Award tenor and featured vocalist on the Gator Homecoming DVDs, will be with us in a special concert at 6.30 p.m. You are all invited to attend. A love offering will be taken to assist in his ministry. That's 6.30 p.m. this evening, Calvary Bible Church, 62 Collins Avenue, a concert featuring Larry Ford, tenor and featured vocalist on the Gator Homecoming DVDs. Come and be blessed. Thank you. We need power, a true love for each other We have heard so many big but empty words Lord, we come before your face We're just asking for your grace Bring your people to a state of kingdom life Restore your church again your people once again with your precious holy hand we pray let your kingdom shine upon this earth through your living glorious church not for temporary Restored authority and power Let a mighty rushing wind blow in Touch your people once again Lord, you see your tired servants All the broken soldiers. Oh, how much we need your tender healing hand. We need the power of the cross as the only source for us. As we stand up facing final battle cry, restore your church again. And now with this message for today, here's our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who was the first human being to make a prophecy that is recorded in the Bible? The first human being to make a prophecy recorded in the Bible. We have come to verse 14 in our ongoing exposition of the Epistle of Jude, which we have entitled, The Task of the Church in the Midst of Apostasy. Jude said that he was compelled by the Holy Spirit to write on this subject because of the rise and 
prevalency of false teachers and apostates infiltrating the church through deceit and masquerading as ministers of the gospel when in actuality they were messengers and ministers of the devil himself. Jude is concerned that all believers are able to identify and detect such individuals whom he calls godless men. And so, as we have seen in our previous studies, he gives a detailed description of their character and activities so we would be able to identify them very easily. Jude presses home one vital principle, and it is this. Personal moral corruption, as well as God's divine judgment, automatically and definitely follows the willful corruption and abandonment of spiritual truth embodied in the faith, which is once for all delivered to the saints, which is the word of God. Now, in verses 14 through 16 of his epistle, Jude brings his description of such godless men to a climax by once more underlining the certainty of their judgment and giving an overall summary of their character. These verses read in the New International Version of the Bible as follows, quote, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. End of quote. And so Jude, for the second time in his epistle, quotes from a source other than the scriptures. The first was his reference to the conflict Michael had with Satan over the body of Moses, if you'll recall. Scholars believe that this was taken from an apocryphal book called The Assumption of Moses. Now, the word apocrypha means that the author or source of the book is uncertain or doubtful. In other words, the author cannot be established as being authentic. Therefore, not everything in the book can be received as being the revealed word of God. The things that are, are validated in the scriptures commonly received or accepted as genuine in what we call now the Bible. Now, the book of Enoch is such an uncertain book. What Jude is saying then is that Enoch's prophecy concerning the judgment of apostates and false teachers is a genuine prophecy, although it is not recognized to be a part of Holy Scriptures. Now, this does not necessarily mean that everything else in the book of Enoch is genuine, but Jude is saying that this particular prophecy is. The Scripture tells us that Enoch was a man who walked with God. In fact, he walked so closely with God that he never died. God simply took him. As it says in Genesis 5.24, and I quote, Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him. End of quote. Now, the importance of this issue is seen in the fact that this prophecy is the first to be made through a man. Genesis 3.15, the prophecy concerning the crushing of Satan by Jesus Christ, 
through his death and resurrection, was given directly by God. But here, Enoch is said to be the first human being to make a prophecy. And it has to do with God's certain judgment upon those who deliberately distort, pervert, and turn away from the truth of his word. Sometime, I hope I will be doing a little presentation concerning this book of Enoch. But let's go on. Let's note what he says in this prophecy. First of all, note who will be involved in this coming judgment. The text says, The Lord with thousands of his holy ones. Now the question is, who are these holy ones that will come with the Lord to pass out judgment upon the ungodly folks? Jesus identifies some of them in Matthew 25, verse 31. Here's what Jesus himself says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. End of quote. So, some of the thousands that will be coming with Jesus, some of the holy ones, will be angels. But Paul identifies another group who makes up the holy ones as well. We find this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. Quote, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. End of quote. This refers to believers in Christ. So then it appears that both angels and believers in Christ will accompany him when he comes to judge everyone and especially to convict the ungodly as Jude describes them. But secondly, notice the clarity of the purpose of Christ's coming. Again, I quote, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly. End of quote. Now, Paul, the apostle, alludes to the same event in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Listen as I quote again, the word of God. This will happen, that's the judgment, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. End of quote. Of course, these are the words that Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians. Now, two things are certain here then. First, the ungodly will be judged. Second, the godly, those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, will be glorified. But in the epistle to Jude, the emphasis is upon the first group, the ungodly, because he is describing the character, actions, and final outcome of those who distort and corrupt the word of God, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Notice thirdly, though, the emphasis Enoch places upon the nature of such individuals and their behavior whom Jude calls godless men. The text says that he is coming to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. End of quote. In other words, 
these false teachers, these apostates that sneak in unaware into the local churches that Jude is writing about are totally, absolutely, and completely ungodly. Neither their character, their actions, or attitudes reflect in any way the character and will of God or the Word of God. Now, Jude summarizes his description of these false persons in verse 16. This is what he says, and he lists five traits of these ungodly individuals. First, they are grumblers or murmurers. This was, if you recall, also a characteristic of the Israelites in the wilderness, those who came out with the Israelites, but they themselves were unbelievers. They were murmurers. Those were the ones who gave the problems and the difficulties to Moses. They murmured or grumbled against God. False teachers and those who seek to have their own way and to make disciples for themselves in the local church, they do the same thing. They grumble against the truth of God and resist it in their life. They want to do things their way. Secondly, Jude calls them fault finders. This word in the original means to blame for one's state or condition or to show dissatisfaction. This was true of those that Jude used as examples of apostates. Israel blamed God for their situation in the wilderness. The fallen angels were dissatisfied with their position and location. So they rebelled against God and his word and left their abode. Cain was dissatisfied with God's prescribed sacrifice, so he replaced it with his own. Balaam was dissatisfied with his properly earned income, so he manipulated the people of God to satisfy his greed. Korah was dissatisfied with God's appointed leadership, so he rebelled and tried to usurp that position himself. In each case, God met the rebellion and dissatisfaction with severe judgment. The murmurous and those who were fault finders would be judged by God. But third, Jude says, they follow their own evil desires and lusts. Literally, the text reads, they habitually go after their own lusts. It's an ongoing activity. They are obsessed with satisfying their own desires. They only want to please themselves and no one else. They live for self-satisfaction, and that's how they portray themselves even in the local church. This causes them, fourthly, to boast about themselves. Another version says, they speak arrogantly. In other words, these folk are always boasting about what they are doing for God, what their ministry is accomplishing. And then, to trick the unwary, they would go on to say such things as, but we cannot continue without your financial help. You've heard that, haven't you? They then do what Jude says next. Fifthly, they flatter others for their own advantage. These people misuse, misquote, and distort the word of God so it pleases other people. Or as Paul says, to tickle the ears of their hearers. Their only reason for being in the ministry, in fact, for being in the church, is to get money or self-glory for their own selfish purposes. They live in the biggest home. 
They drive the fanciest cars and eat in the most expensive restaurants, all with the tithes and offerings and love gifts of those who have been titillated and flattered with the words that promise much but deliver little or nothing from a spiritual perspective. This, my friends, is a description of what we call the health and wealth gospel today. Jude then exhorts believers to go to the only source that can provide protection and preservation from such godless men, and that is the Word of God. Listen to where verse 17 now of Jude's epistle. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. End of quote. Notice what he says. Remember the teachings of the apostles. In other words, look to the Word of God. It tells us all we need to know about these kind of religious charlatans. They are scoffers, Jude says, who follow their own ungodly desires, men who cause divisions and strife among you, men who simply follow the instincts of their lower nature. Friends, Peter, Paul, John, all spoke about these individuals. Believers have long and well been informed of their character and activities by the apostles in the Word of God. We need to remember what they have written. Finally, Jude tops it all off by saying these men who do not have the Spirit, they do not have the Spirit. This means, therefore, that they are unsaved and unregenerate. For, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, and I quote, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Now remember, Jude is talking about people who are in the church who seem to be good leaders and all of that, but they are unregenerate because, he says here, they do not have the Spirit. Jude is saying what Jesus Christ himself said, not all who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it is not just one's words or profession that makes him a true believer or minister of the gospel. It is not even so if such people do great works or cast out demons. What really matters is the quality of their life and whether their ministry produces fruit that lasts, good fruit. And most important of all, is their life and ministry in keeping with the Word of God, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Friends, that's why it is so vitally important for us to know the Word of God in these days in which we live. There is such a profusion of false teachers and a bombardment of false teaching that without a proper knowledge of the Word of God, even a true Christian, a true child of God, could be deceived, a person who is not mature in the faith. This epistle of Jude was written specifically to safeguard us from false teachers and false teachings, from apostates who twist the Word of God for their own personal gain and abandon its truth for their own distorted and selfishly distorted dreams, as Jude calls them. So let me ask you a question. How are you equipped right now to detect such godless men and women in your church, or when you hear them over the radio, or when you see them on TV? 
Do you know enough about the faith once for all delivered to the saints that will enable you to defend and contend for it against those who seek to distort or corrupt it for their own personal profit and therefore dishonor God and his word? This is Jude's purpose for writing his epistle. And so may God help us to be diligent students of his word so that we may be true contenders for the faith. Now, Lord willing, next week, we will bring our series to a close by looking at the specific things Jude tells us to effectively contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Until then, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. Great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and not toiling will. happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground in a moment Jesus Christ could come again